Well, we're still here, so let's talk about it. Recently, my husband and I went on a road trip. We went to Yellowstone. It took a couple of days to get there, and we saw some really neat things along the way. But, of course, the jewel of the trip was being in Yellowstone Park. We got there on a Sunday, and we left on a Friday. So we were able to see... I won't say every inch of the park because it's 2.2 million acres that makes up Yellowstone, but we got to drive around to every one of the entrances, took a photo at each one of them, and just drove so much. But everywhere we turned was so much beauty. I wrote about it. I intended to blog about it. But you know what? I feel like What I wrote that day, it was, I think, Wednesday morning, maybe Tuesday morning, sitting out in the sunlight, enjoying all the creation that we had seen and what was just around us that morning, that I I wrote a blog. But I'm not sure I explained myself very well. So today I think I'm just going to talk about it. I'll leave the blog the way it is, but maybe add my little two cents extra here and there where I think I might have been lacking. So the name of the blog post is Sometimes the Journey Stinks. What I wrote on my notes was Sometimes the Journey Sucks. We hear a lot of people saying cancer sucks or life sucks or this sucks or that sucks. It's not something I really like to say much, but sometimes it's necessary because it just seems to fit the situation. So here comes the situation. Before the trip, about, well, let's say the end of July, I had injured my knee. It wasn't an injury. My knee just started hurting. But then we went camping. I ran across the street. My doctors told me I should not run anymore because of my knee. But I did it. And then sitting in the car, right, and going up and down the steps to the travel trailer that we have, everything. So my knee's been bothering me now. That's it's been a month. Well, almost a month. Anyway, I figured if it gets better, then I won't worry about it. But sometimes the journey stinks. As beautiful as Yellowstone is, the destination did not disappoint. The journey was so difficult because of my knee. To see some of the best sights in Yellowstone takes hiking. And I didn't want to sit in the car and let my husband just go do that on his own. First of all, Yellowstone is bear country. And any ranger will tell you that if you go hiking, you should have three or more people because bears think you're too big to bother. We were a party of two. So I went, and I figured we've got our bear bells, we've got our bear spray, we're prepared. So we went to a small little hike called the Brink of the Falls. The sign said it was a small little hike. It was no little hike. Within 30 feet of starting the trail down to the falls, which was the first hint that I should not have done this. Going downhill when you have knee pain is really painful. But I went. 
I wanted to do the journey. I wanted to see the destination. There were switchbacks. It was a narrow trail. There was no guardrail. People were coming up, a lot of people. People were pushing ahead of us. I'm just hobbling along on my knee, and I got, I won't say a bad attitude. Truth be told, I was in pain, and I was trying to just be a good sport, but it was really getting more and more difficult the further and further along we went. We get to the falls, and they are beautiful, magnificent, amazing. Any adjective that you can think of to describe incredible beauty, that's the falls. My husband wanted to take pictures. This man loves to take photos. He had three different cameras that he wanted to use. Standing still was really hard on my knee. But I sucked it up. I was the good sport. Kind of paced around to keep my knee from flaring too badly. And then the trip up the way we came. I couldn't figure out why my heart rate was so high. Why was I struggling so hard when fitness is something I do take very seriously? I forgot that we were at 8,000 feet, minus maybe 400 after the hike, but still pretty high elevation and we are not acclimated. So my body was fighting to exert itself in this high elevation. Then you add the knee pain on top of it, and there you go. So I didn't grumble. I didn't gripe. I just plodded along the best that I could. We got to the top, and then we walked a little more, which actually was good because then it got me to get off of the incline and just walk flat for a while. Anyway, sometimes the journey stinks. The journey really did stink this time. But the destination was something I would have really regretted missing. We went down another short trail, and this time it actually was short. And we got to see the falls at a different angle. I can't say even more incredible. I mean, there just aren't enough adjectives to describe Yellowstone. Nonetheless, we got back in the truck and we headed back to our campsite. The reason that I wrote this blog was we think about our lives. So many stories have been shared about the typical man. Just talk about the man of the 70s or the 80s, even way, way earlier than that, who gets out of high school or gets his first job, works himself to the bone to support his family. He retires after 30, 40 years of working for the same company, only to die shortly thereafter or become ill and then die shortly thereafter. I was listening to a doctor. His name is Ira Bayok, and I have some quotations from him that I'll share shortly. But in an interview recently... Dr. Bayok shared that it's very rare, if at all, that someone on their deathbed would say that their most precious thing at the end of their life was the money that they had or 
how many hours they work, or that their prized possession was a thing. Dr. Byock expressed that in his experience, folks describe their most precious possession as relationships, that the deep regret that people feel is usually about things not said. He encouraged his listeners to resolve to clear away any hurt feelings and connect in profound ways with the people we love before we die. And so the message there is to make the journey not stink, to not wait until you're on your deathbed to have the relationships, to do those amazing road trips, to go see those beautiful sights that make up our earth. Take the vacation, eat the dessert, as they say. Make the journey as beautiful as you can with the days that you have on this earth because we don't know when we won't be here anymore. And I really appreciated him saying that because how many of us get up in the morning, do the coffee, do the thing, punch in, punch out, do the dishes, eat the dinner, go to bed, watch the news, whatever it is, day in and day out. But do we really take time to give that extra hug, to say something really sweet to the person that we care about, to do something nice for somebody else? All of those things can help make the journey better. In thinking about that, I wrote in my blog about how journeys sometimes have reward. You get up in the morning, you turn on the coffee pot, you get great coffee. You take your coffee out to your favorite seat in the house or out on the patio, and you can drink your coffee while the sun is rising. The journey to the coffee pot yields a great cup of coffee. The journey to the patio, some really nice peace and quiet early in the morning. Journey to work, earns you money so that you can take care of the home and the coffee pot and get to buy more coffee, etc. The journey back brings you back to your family, hopefully, or if you live alone, at least your home. The reward is being where you feel comfortable, maybe. So in the journey of life, we don't even think about that, really. Not when we're young. I certainly didn't. We tend to think about it when the bones start creaking. I know I did. I thought, wow, my knee. I'm 59. What if I live another 20 years in pain? 10 years in pain? Is that the kind of journey that I really want? I may not have control over it at this point since I have arthritis. But what other parts of the journey can I embrace before my last day? Dr. Bayok talks about a circle that is unbroken. And the goal here is to rectify whatever relationships can be rectified so that the circle is complete. There is no break in the circle. And it's not broken in the sense that relationships were cut off or ended badly. The circle is broken because 
there's things that are left unsaid. So he suggests pursuing conversation to make that full circle. I really appreciated that. When I thought about it, and even here I've talked about it before, not all relationships should be attempted to reconcile. Some are toxic, some are incredibly unhealthy and even dangerous. But there are ways that we can write down our feelings, say them out loud to someone that we care about and trust. He, Dr. Bayak, that is, talked about old methods of therapy where we would speak to an empty chair to symbolize that person that we have a broken relationship with. Sure, that's a possibility. But for the people that we can, the ones living in our own household, for example, our friends that we care about and spend time with, to be able to say, I love you. You're my friend. I miss you. Can we have a phone conversation? Can we take a trip together? Can we meet somewhere for coffee? Those are sentiments that can be shared right now while we're able. And it doesn't have to take a whole day. It can take a few minutes. I mean, I've even resorted to text messages since my son doesn't live in the same state as I do. And right now, actually, my daughter's traveling out of state, and so we're texting and sending photos back and forth. It's kind of remaining the connection, even if it's a heart emoji or a blowing kiss emoji or something of that nature. It's just, if that's the last thing that my kids see from me, or if they were to die while we're not together, they send something sweet to me, that sweetens the journey for the rest of my life. I'll miss them if they die. I'll be very sad if they die before I do. It's not what I would wish for. But I think the point that I'm trying to make here is do the things, say the things, while we're still alive, while we're still here, to say them. And Dr. Bayak was talking a little bit about grief in a separate interview that I heard I got to see Dr. Bayak give a live presentation in my city several years ago, and I really like the way he talks and relates to people. So anytime I can hear from him, I feel very lucky. He was talking about his mom and how she had died suddenly in a car crash. And he had things that he would have wanted to say, but just couldn't. And there was a lot of grief there. And he was talking about how grief just shows up when it's least expected. And if we don't allow the feelings of sadness or anger or grief, we shove it down. We don't cry or express any of that emotion. As soon as you're sitting quietly, that grief comes bubbling back up louder and stronger. To avoid the feelings of grief and sadness only causes the feels to come back stronger and louder. That's what another podcaster said to me. Well, not to me, but in her episode. So there's Dr. Bayok saying it and this other person saying it. 
And I have felt it because I've told you I'm somebody who tends to stuff her feelings. And I can remember back to the arguments my husband and I used to have when we were newlyweds. And he would say things like, I can't read your mind. You need to tell me what you're feeling or else I can't respond. Because what would happen is this feelings would get stuffed and stuffed and stuffed until he left a sock on the floor and I would just lose it. It wasn't about the sock. It was about that time, who knows how long before, when he didn't say thank you for me bringing him a soda or something, you know, something relatively trivial. But at the time, I didn't say anything about his lack of saying thank you when I went out of my way to bring him a soda. And I carried it and carried it and carried it until that sock got on the floor and he got the whole kitchen sink at one time. Stronger and louder. Not only that, but it created damage in our marriage. Most recently, I shared Whitney with you, an interview that I did with a friend of mine who is a grief recovery specialist in her class kind of talked about what happens when we keep shoving feelings down. There are overt ways that it kind of shows itself or manifests in us. So when Whitney and I were talking for the episode that I gave you last week, we were talking about unresolved grief, incomplete grief, and that kind of backs up what Dr. Bayok and this other podcaster were saying. When we stuff things down and we don't allow those feelings to come out, when they do, it's bigger, louder, stronger. In the case of, a, of the grief recovery method, which Whitney facilitates or is a specialist for, she had mentioned that she didn't feel like she was loving people as well as she could because of the grief she was carrying. She began to feel burdened. I remember, I don't know, I say like three years after my dad died, I was sitting in a car at a stoplight. A man crossed the street. His profile looked just like my dad. And I started crying right there. Just that glimpse. I thought I was done. I've said it before about my mom when I talk about her. I always think I'm done. And then it comes back. What I'm learning is that's natural and normal. My grief can still be complete because there's nothing that I feel like I could have said better, done anything more of, or, or anything else like that, you know. So I feel like it was complete with her. I feel like it was complete with my dad. But at the time, I thought, what in the world? Why am I still crying about this? So if you can feel the emotions... You can let them wash over you like we've talked about. Recognize you are not your emotions. Emotions are just emotions. They're feelings. They just happen. They're not bad or good. They're just emotions. We all have them. And if we can allow ourselves to express them, then they can wash over us and we can let them go. We're not stuffing them, but we've dealt with them. We've recognized them. I see you, and now I can let you go. The last thing I'll leave you with here is if we can just allow the emotions to happen, 
recognize that it is just part of being a human. We can remove the judgment and the stigma of sadness or tears or crying and just accept them for what they are. When they come, those waves of grief or those waves of emotion, they can become shorter and quieter. And imagine what our journey would look like if we can let unpleasant things pass over us, feel what we need to feel from them, let them move on, and it just brings us further along in our journey. The destination, of course, would be the end of our life. And while it's no Yellowstone, it can still be a journey that we can make the most of so that when we are at the end of our life, we won't feel regret or anxiety about what we could have said, what we could have done better, what we could have done differently, because we've already reconciled those. We've acknowledged them, maybe apologized for whatever we needed to apologize for, sought forgiveness, whatever that might be, thanked somebody, it's all been done. So that the end of the journey for us, the end of our life, can be more peaceful. That, to me, describes part of the good death. If this compels you to reach out to someone today, I hope that you do. Let someone know you love them. Touch somebody on the shoulder to let them know you see them and you care. Let a feeling come on you and wash over you. And let it pass so that you're not stuffing anything. Think about your journey. You're on it. And there's only one end. We're all going to get there. But we're going to get there differently. Consider that this week. Bye-bye. Thanks for listening today. You can go to my website for more articles, little news pieces, or a transcript of this podcast. The website is whilewe'restillhere.com. If you'd like to join the conversation, you can send me an email too. Thanks again. And until next time, take care.